This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. It was a long one today. We just we got through a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, we're pretty focused with this group on making sure that you know, we've got things put together uh, for Thursday night, then again Saturday, and tonight was a good step forward. You know, it's funny, after the broadcast yesterday, and of course that was John Cooper, Greg Linnelli with you, along with Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersix, our producer. Check us out on the TuneIn app, our new home here for broadcasts. Happy to be here. Also on Twitter Spaces. You know, partner, it's, it, it's the beauty of doing live radio. That we can be wrong. And then, <laughs> <laughs> which happens frequently with me. Yeah. And uh, my, uh, my dad. I, I was the one who was wrong. <laughs> My dad, you know, he was listening to the show, as he does all the time, and he enjoys it. And he goes, boy, Greg, the guys you talked about uh, yesterday, <laughs> yeah. possibly making the team, they all uh, they were put on waivers. And I was like, oh, you know, look, it's, it's preseason. They're still trying to figure out the schedule, and sometimes you're going to have that. And that's what happened a little bit uh, yesterday. And, you know, I think we'll have a, an idea, you know, coming up pretty, pretty soon. Mm-hmm. who clears and, and who didn't. But, I hope he didn't uh, throw partner. you under the bus because it was, it <laughs> well, was look, me. We're a team. I'm the one that but said it. You didn't, you didn't offer right. a, as forceful but I kind of opinion about it. I agreed. And, and look, you know, we're a team. That's that's how this yeah. all plays out. But So why know, do you, you spell out? I had that debate. Yeah, spell Go out ahead. exactly what happened in case people are like, what are they talking about? Well, Alex Bariboulet and Jamel Smith, right, were put on waivers gabriel fortier by the way is skating with the team you and i had that debate about who they would keep who they wouldn't who could clear waivers who uh had to and you know you try and go off the best information as possible but you know at least at this point fortier would be a guy that is in the lineup along with uh, kepke who john cooper had some pretty glowing remarks to say about him yesterday so as of right now, that's where it stands. Perbix is still uh, in the mix, of course, with Flurry, and we'll see how that all plays out. We'll see how it plays out for opening night, how many guys they want to keep. They've got two more preseason games. But I know you and I talking off the air, we're kind of getting into the details as to mm-hmm. maybe what they're thinking, and why don't we get into that? I'll let you uh, take the floor on that. A well, look, I don't know what they're thinking because <laughs> I think <laughs> I was a little surprised <laughs> to see that waiver movement yesterday yeah. because they didn't have to put them on waivers yesterday. You have time to do that. I mean, I think through this week for sure, I think the rosters are due Monday. So, and the Lightning open the season next Tuesday, one week from tonight. So this does a couple of things. If they were to clear waivers, and we're going to find out later this afternoon if they do, they could go to Syracuse. But they don't have to go to Syracuse. When you clear waivers, all it means is that you can go down without having to clear waivers again for 10 games or 30 days, after which, if you were sent down, you would have to clear waivers a second time. Correct. So it is possible, and I'm just spelling this out for the fans, I, I don't know if this is gonna happen. It, it, may, it may be the case that they're gonna clear waivers and they are getting assigned to Syracuse, in which case the Lightning are going into the last two preseason games and presumably into the start of the regular season 
with 13 forwards. That would surprise me a little bit just because typically in a preseason, week two, and we are into week two, you're looking at a roster number in like the high 20s, and there's more competition for those last few roster spots. And high 20s would include any injured guys, which the Lightning have some injured guys, Sorelli and Bogosian. So they are not going to be part of the opening night roster. But usually what you see, let's say forwards, if you're going to keep 13, even if you're going to keep 14, you might have like 15 to 16 forwards going into that last week of the preseason and training camp. And then those three to four players kind of battle it out. I think we had this discussion last year because we had Radish, Kachuk, Bari Boulay, and Ryfors. Remember, we were talking about those guys. Yeah. And it sure. turned out that that Ryfors and Bari Boulay didn't make the team. Bari Boulay was sent down right before the start of the season and got yeah. claimed by Seattle. So that's, the Lightning could have done that. They could have waited until basically the deadline to set your roster and, and send anyone down the day before, essentially, so they would have time to clear waivers. I still I still would be a little surprised, I guess, if we see only 13 forwards for the Lightning going into these last two preseason games, which is why there is a possibility that should Smith and Barry Boulay clear waivers, they do not go to Syracuse. The, the waiver clearing part that was done to give the Lightning some flexibility to subsequently send one or both players down if they wanted to. You might say, well, why would you want to try and get them through waivers now as opposed to later, like right before the start of the season or anything like that? It's not a surefire thing, as we saw Bari Boulay was was claimed right before the start of the season last year. But most teams are kind of in the same boat as the boat the Lightning are usually in, which is to say that you got three to four to five players at a position, let's say forward, battling it out for maybe two to three spots. If you're going to claim someone on waivers, you're basically saying, yeah, this person is going to be on our team. And that means you feel that that player is ahead of the guys who are still battling it out for these final few roster spots, which is to say that it's not a surefire thing. But if you wanted to try and sneak someone through waivers, now is the time to do it. Correct. Because other teams are also over the limit. They're going to have to reduce their roster number between now and the start of the regular season. So we'll see what happens. I mean, we're going to come on the air tomorrow, and we'll have clarity as to whether or not these guys cleared or they were claimed. If they were claimed by another team, one or both, then they are no longer in the Lightning's organization. And... Maybe the Lightning keep the 13 forwards, or maybe they bring somebody back up that they they sent down a couple of days ago. That is also another possibility if they don't want to go into these final two preseason games with only 13 forwards. The other wrinkle in here, Greg, is that we had Hurricane Ian. So instead of six preseason games, the Lightning are only going to have five. So if you're wondering, like, why would they go into these last two preseason games with only 13 forwards, maybe they're going to treat these two games, if they decide to go in with only 13 forwards, maybe they're going to treat these two preseason games basically like regular season games. Like, this is our lineup, right? Because the regulars, most of them have only played one of the first three. We're going to see how all this plays out 
on Thursday and then Saturday afternoon in the last two preseason games. But the more immediate question to be answered is, in a couple hours, we're going to find out if Smith and Barry Boulay are still a member, both of them, a member of the Lightning organization. And if they are, where are they going? Are they going to Syracuse or are they not going to Syracuse? Are they staying here? And if they're staying here, there's always a chance they do get sent down anyways. Correct? Right. If they fill out the the rest of the preseason for whatever reason. My thing is, and I think... That would mean that you wouldn't have to send them, though, right before the start of the regular season. Maybe you feel that it's more likely that they would get claimed in a few days. Yeah, and what's interesting about this, a couple of things. You know, look, we've seen the games against the Florida Panthers be pretty intense. I don't have to tell you that or our audience. Even preseason games, partner, with these two teams, it feels like it brings out the worst in terms of extra stuff that goes on. Mm -hmm. And I know most of the regulars at this point have played in, what, basically one preseason game. And I know they're down one because of uh, the weather and, and the hurricane for sure. But I also want to be practical as well. And... Maybe this lends more credence to the notion I'd rather have a few more forwards up here before the season end or before the preseason ends because I don't know how comfortable I am, you know, playing my regular lineup Thursday and Saturday against the Florida Panthers in a meaningless game, at least for the Lightning and I, I think to an extent the Panthers, knowing that it can get out of control very quickly and that I'd rather have guys like Barry Boulay and Smith and Fortier in there. And if that means, you know, maybe sitting a Kucherov or a Hedman or a point, I'd like to have the bodies to be able to do that. Now, maybe that's just a, a, a small point, And maybe it's something the coaching staff looks at and says, we're just, we can't really worry about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, honestly, that that's kind of where my mind was when I was looking at the numbers here. The other thing, too, is does it tell us anything about where Fortier is right now in their eyes compared to Barry Boulay and Smith, that they were able, they felt like sending those guys down now for whatever reason, but they kept a, a guy who doesn't have as much NHL experience. But we don't, we, like we don't we know that. We don't know that We're just yet, trying to make Greg. assumptions. It's yeah, just we're that, trying to make assumptions. Yeah, if, if, if this move, or moves, if these moves, were strictly about giving the Lightning flexibility to send guys down at some point, the guys being Smith and Barry Boulay, it does not tell us anything about their standing relative to Fortier's standing. Because Fortier doesn't need to clear waivers. Fair point. But if they clear waivers and both guys go down, then yes, then that tells you that Fortier was ahead of them, clearly, had moved ahead of them or ended up ahead of them on the depth chart. Correct. At this point in training, that's camp. a fair point. Yeah, but that's I don't a think fair we point. have that answer definitively yet. By tomorrow, I, we will. I, yeah, and I, I have to be honest. I, I don't know if I've seen much separation from any one of those three players that we just talked about: Smith, Bariboulet, and Fortier. I mean, I think we have seen them at times perform at their best through various years here in the Lightning organization, but. You know, where do they fit in? What do the Lightning need? Maybe that might end up being the question. What do the Lightning need? And does a a particular player fit that bill? I've said this before. I I don't know. If Barry Boulay is not going to be in your top six, I don't know how he slots in with this team. And it's 
not necessarily a knock on him. It's just he's a skilled guy that I think needs to play with other skilled players. And I just I don't know if you're going to see that with him on this team. That that doesn't mean he can't be a productive player. I just I don't know if it's going to be productive with the Lightning. And the fact that we saw the Lightning do what they did with him last year to start the season maybe speaks to adding a, a little more credence to that belief. I think Smith and Fortier can fill a bottom six role if that's what they're looking for a little bit better than Barry Boulay. But then again, I've liked Smith, and I think you've liked Smith a lot since he's been in the organization. Hasn't played a ton with them at the NHL level, but every time we've seen him, we liked what he has done, and I'm wondering if this is the era that you know maybe he gets an opportunity. But it's a tough lineup to crack, for sure, for guys like that. I think one thing we do know is that Cole Kepke has opened up a lot of eyes, partner. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's, I, I want to say safe, but I think he's feeling pretty good about his opportunity here. I would agree Which with is that. Good and thing. again, you know, they, they're running the lines. Forti is the 13th forward, meaning Kepke yes. isn't. Kepke is playing in a line today with what, Colton and Paul? Paul. Did I see yeah, that right? Colton and Paul. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question, Greg. And I don't expect you have an answer to this. It's kind of an open-ended question, but this is what I'm wondering. Let's say the Lightning had made their decision that Forte was going to be their 13th forward. Smith and Barbelay were going to go to Syracuse. Why did they wait an extra day or two days after they had sent the bulk of the other players to Syracuse? Some of whom did clear waivers, like Sean Day... Dumont cleared waivers. I mean, there were a handful. Darren Radish. Like, if if the decision was Smith and Barry Belay are forwards 14 and 15, essentially, and we're going right. to be sending them down, why did this not happen when the other guys went down? We're not talking about, like, a week later. We're talking basically a day or two later. Why was getting the one extra practice in that important if that was the decision right like what happened in the one practice that that tipped the balance or why did they wait a day which is why i'm still curious i'm not going to go so far as to say this is definitely why they did it i kind of stepped in the doo-doo yesterday in that regard because <laughs> clearly i i did not have my finger right. you know on on the pulse of what was happening here but it still raises a question, like, if if the goal was, all right, we want to get these guys through waivers and they're going to Syracuse, why why didn't they just go with the rest of the, the other players that were going down originally 24 hours earlier or 48 hours earlier? And I think the potential answer to that question is they aren't going to Syracuse. <laughs> they They were held a day, sent down – or not sent down, but but put on the waiver wire a day later, but still in this mix when, let's face it, it's it's less likely that they would get claimed. Doesn't mean they won't, just less likely. Because the goal was not to send them down, the goal was to have flexibility. Yeah, it's a good question. And, and probably nobody knows the answer, unless you're part of that Lightning organization. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Julian's not coming on with a good us one. to, to yeah. answer these kind of minutia type questions and look 
you know, John Cooper has often said that the 23 guys that start the year in the opening that roster are not going to be the only 23 that potentially play for the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've seen that time and time and time again. So just because somebody might start the year in the minors does not mean that that player is going to finish the year in the minors. You can look at Chernak, Sorelli. I mean, go down the list. Ross Colton. I mean, pick a year. You can pick a year and, and see an impactful player arrive at some point during that season and make an impact from that point onward, but that player didn't actually start on the opening night roster. Right. We're getting some questions, too. Uh, a few people want to know about the back end and the battle between Flurry and Perbix, or how many defensemen do we think they will keep opening nights? And, you know, does that depend on how many forwards they want to keep? Could, you know, but you and I were talking about this a little bit off the air as well. I mean, I think it's it's set. You're going to have Hedman and Foot, Sergachev and Chernak, Cole and Myers, it would it would look like for sure. And then Flurry and Perbix. And I think a lot of people want the youngster to make the team partner. But I think we had that conversation a little bit yesterday. Does it make more sense for him to go down and play as much as he can down in Syracuse in all situations? And you have the veteran Flurry as your seventh defenseman. Look, Perbix might make the team. I mean, I'm not the general manager. All I'm saying is that if we use history as a as a guide, it is very rare, very rare for the Lightning since basically Jeff Vennick bought the team and put in this, this management group, this philosophy of how the Lightning want to do things. And it was Steve Eiserman with Julian Breesbaugh, and now it's Julian Breesbaugh with with the other people on his management team. It is extraordinarily rare for a player to come right out of amateur hockey and make the lightning. In the last 12 years since Jeff Finnick bought the team, or let's, do you want to go more when John Cooper's been the head coach? I mean, if you want to do that, fine. A more, a more recent development. I mean, Sergachev was, what, 19? Yeah. And he jumped straight to the NHL, but he was a number nine overall pick. And the option was either to send him back to junior. He couldn't go to the AHL. It was either go back to junior hockey or play in the NHL. And the Lightning, that was a different situation. That's one. And Braden Point was the other. Braden Point made the jump straight from junior hockey to the NHL when he had AHL eligibility his rookie year, 2016-17. Unless I'm mistaken, those are the only two. I'm not including like Hedman who predated <laughs> predated the 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 purchase by by Mr. Venick. That was the, the previous group. So I would say it's very unlikely that we would see Nick Perbix who is not a number nine overall pick, goes straight from college hockey. Now, granted, he's a little bit older because he played four years of college hockey. But, frankly, I would be surprised. Nothing against him. It's just not really the way the Lightning do things. They want players to to gain experience and get reps playing at the AHL level when they are young. And I think you brought this up 
yesterday, as did Chris Crenn when he joined us, like for a young player, is it beneficial to be sitting in the press box in the NHL as opposed to being on the ice? So if Perbix does make the team, who's coming out? Sure. Is it Myers? I mean, he's a righty defenseman. I don't think Chernak's coming out. Nope. I don't think Foote's coming out. And, I mean, Myers has way more NHL experience than Perbix, who has zero games of NHL experience. So that's why I would be more than surprised (laughs) if he makes the team. Even if he plays, like, blow your mind off your shoulders type hockey, which is basically what Braden Point did. Braden Point played so well in that training camp in the preseason, he forced the organization's hand. Like, we have to keep this guy. He did. But that's how rare it was. You're talking about one guy. It's a good point, and if you want to react to that, you can. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, or individually, at Greg Linnelli, at Dave Mishkin. We're live here on Twitter Spaces, so if you have a question and you want to hop on, Steve will put you on, and we'll discuss what you want to break down. Also, too, we are live on the TuneIn app, so make sure you bookmark that, save it, make one of your favorites, and that is going to be where we are weekdays, noon to one here on uh, Bolts Radio. So we look forward to uh, bringing you that conversation. What's interesting, too, and I was thinking about this, partner, and it's, again, we're not going to have an idea probably until midway through the season, you know, maybe even, you know, heading into the playoffs, and that's what we're anticipating with the Lightning, is that with all of these players that we're talking about, Barry Boulay and Smith, and Perbix and even Flurry to a lesser extent and you know what's going to happen there and who's going to make the team and who's not. I don't know if any of these guys are going to change the trajectory of this team in terms of what they want to be. Now maybe you're going to have a young guy or two come up and and perform well and you're going to need those young legs to get through the regular season and even into the playoffs. I think this is where we've talked about, you know, guys like Colton and, and Kepke now and uh, Hagel to a lesser extent, but we've seen Sorelli and Point come up and compliment veterans a great deal. I don't know if, if the guys we're talking about are going to have that type of impact, but I am curious to see. With the losses of Pilat and McDonough, and then you factor in you know what this team has missed with the Yanni Gord line a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, what type of defensive team are we going to see this year? Because every one of those guys that I mentioned to you are really, I mean, they're really good players in general, but they were really hard to play against. It's kind of like the Lightning's identity, particularly once the playoffs began. But even during the regular season, when they kind of had a, a turnaround as a franchise, you know, yeah, there were games they gave up some goals and they were loose defensively. But in addition to Vassy being really good in that, or even the backups at that point, whoever they were, the Lightning always were, were pretty sound defensively. And again, once the playoffs started, it, it felt like they they raised their game to another level. I'm not anticipating any concrete answers here when I ask the question. 
But I am wondering a little bit. The coaching staff, they're going to stress you've got to be hard to play against. You've got to be really good defensively, and that's what we're going to do with our structure, and hopefully it's their game in and game out. But they've lost some valuable pieces when it comes to guys who played that way very well. And I'm wondering, this year, a way to overcome that a little bit is maybe the team's not going to be as good defensively. But is this going to be a team that is going to have to score a little bit more? You know, is it is it a team that's going to have to fill the net? And I'm not talking about, you know, a goal more per game this year. We can look on the margins what that would look like, the improvement I'm talking about. But, you know, we, we talked about Hagel yesterday and Paul, if he can continue his his ascension as a player. We've got some other guys there that, that I think are, are hoping to, to continue their good play offensively. I'm just wondering, with the losses we've seen the last couple of years of players who are really hard to play against and good defensively, it's hard to replace all of them. And at some point, it does catch up to you, up with you a little bit. But I'm wondering a way to combat that. Are we going to see this team maybe have to be a bit better offensively, knowing that defensively, because of who they lost, might not be as stingy this year. Well, look, you make a good point in that some of how you play defensively as a team does have to do with personnel. And you're right. I mean, taking Ryan McDonough out of your lineup is going to affect how you defend. He's one of the best defensive defensemen in the entire league still. Not to mention Andre Palat, not to mention Yanni Gord. Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow. I mean, these guys are all part of that effort. But some of good team defense is attitude and attention to detail and how you want to play. How committed are you to defending? And some of that goes to kind of your team identity, your team structure, and and I think that's what you're getting at. Like, are they going to have to make an adjustment to that? And I don't think they want to. And I think they made a concerted effort to try and find guys that are, in fact, hard to play against. Nick Paul is hard to play against. Brandon Hagel plays hard. We saw that in the playoffs. He is hard to play against. It's not like the Lightning have morphed into this, like, skill it out type team that's not what john cooper wants and that's not what julian breezeball wants so now you have to go out and do it you have to execute but i don't think the mentality of how they want to play is going to change at all you may have to though acknowledge the fact that at some key positions you've gotten younger and less experienced I think that's valid. And, you know, again, it's not to say team defense, they're not going to be good this year. I mean, I think the system's in place. They have enough guys mm-hmm. on that team. If the ship is veering off course, partner, they are going to get it mean. back. They're yeah, going to get it back. And what you're saying is, even if they want to be tight defensively, if they're not, are they going to have to find more goals? And I think that's a fair yeah, question. Because, you know, let's face it. I, I, Ryan McDonough, you could have made the argument. Victor Hedman was the team's best defenseman. Ryan McDonough was their best defensive defenseman. 
And, you know, let's not forget, too, you lost Jan Ruta. Jan yep. Ruta was a solid defenseman, for sure. Now, look, his playing time decreased a little bit once the playoffs started because you're going to go with your four horses for the most part. But now there is a bit of a an unknown. That's why we talk so much about Mikhail Sergachev being a very important player, and for me, Brandon Hagel as well. Because I think those are two guys with different skill sets that can overcome or help overcome the loss of somebody at their position. So if Sergachev finds another level, and let's face it too, part of Sergachev's ability is contributing offensively. And so we talk about, is this team going to struggle to find some, or are they going to have to score more this year a little bit? Well, Sergachev probably could address both. Sergachev could be really hard to play against. There's room for him to grow. But he also, I think, has another level to get to offensively. There was so much talk about him trying to get the puck on net more last year. I still think his shot is really good. I think there's more room for him to grow. And Hagel, we just talked about. We know Hagel's hard to play against. But he's going to have to score a, a little bit more this year, I think, to not justify what the Lightning gave up, but I think to feel pretty good about you know, what they saw in him when they did get him from Chicago. But I just think some of the guys they lost, the first thing that comes to mind is just how good they were defensively. And it's one thing to lose one of them, partner. Look, it's one thing to lose a whole line. It's another thing to sit there and say, okay, now we've lost five or six guys. Yeah. It's a lot. Not to say you don't have guys who can replace them. It's just more of an unknown for me. You know, Kyle Foote's going to have to elevate his play. You know, we're talking about Myers potentially being thrust into a top six role. You know, once Bogosian comes back, we can have a conversation about how that's going to play out. And then I think Ian Cole is, is very solid, but he's got a lot of mileage on him. Where is he defensively? And then, of course, at the forward position, losing the guys they've lost... Are they able to find that same identity? That's why I preface it by saying, I don't know if we're really going to find out until maybe even midway through the season, partner, is, is too soon. Mm -hmm. This might be a whole experiment all season long, and then maybe once you're in the playoffs, and we're assuming the Lightning get there. I understand I don't want to put the, the cart before the horse, but bear with me here with, with my point, is that come playoff time, and it could come in, in, in the form of a trade <laughs> if they feel like defensively they're just not where they need to be. Yeah. It might take the playoffs until we seriously look at where this team is defensively and say, okay, I know what I'm getting with them. It's just that right now, I don't know. And I'm wondering if, especially early on, because it always feels like offenses are ahead of defenses, um, or is it vice versa? No, I think traditionally the, the goal scoring has been up at the start of the year. Last year, though, interestingly, it stayed fairly constant throughout and it actually did. ticked up. The NHL at the broadcast meetings put on a put on a slideshow yep. of, of a variety of different topics. One of them that they detailed was in every quarter of the season, the goal scoring number went up the average slightly, but it trended up in all four which hadn't happened in decades. Right. But I think this is something we kicked around last year. Was last year the outlier year? <laughs> or is this kind of a new trend? 
but Good generally point. you are right. The start of the year is when the goal scoring numbers are higher and then the defenses kind of settle in. Right. So that that is, I, I think, a question that we're probably not going to be able to answer until later in the year. I'm just saying mm -hmm. it's something to keep an eye on as a macro point when it comes to this Lightning team. I, I was thinking about this before our shows were on air and we were kind of preparing for everything. And, you know, what what are some of the keys or what are some of the things that I'm going to be looking at when it comes to this Lightning team this year? And I do think this year is the first one in the last three or four where they're going to have to overcome some significant losses collectively. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's one thing to lose three guys. You know, it's another thing to lose six of them from, you know, a Stanley Cup run a couple of years ago. And we're talking about key pieces. And I'm just curious to see how how it plays out defensively. Who ends up taking those steps to becoming hard to play against on a nightly basis for the Lightning? And is this going to be a team that's going to have to score maybe a little bit more this year? to get to where they want to go. Not to sacrifice a ton of defense, but maybe offense is is where they're going to have to maybe turn it up a little bit more. Coaches hate that, of course. They mm. want to be good defensively. And you're going to have that to some extent on a nightly basis anyways because of Andre Vasilevsky. But I'm just curious how that dynamic partner is going to play out. I'd be curious to hear what our fans think. But it's it kind of goes along with looking at this roster right now and knowing it's going to change. And then midway through the season, what do we have? And then... You know, are there any changes that need to be made moving forward with this Lightning team? And that's something I think the coaching staff and the front office, they're all looking at, you know, obviously in training camp and and all the way through the season. And the other part of this, too, is, I mean, the Lightning are going to be playing more games within their division than, say, against any particular team in the Western Conference, which is always the case. But I'm wondering, like, how much better is the competition going to be this year, even from last year? Right. Specifically, the Atlantic, the Atlantic Division. I think a lot of people expect Detroit is going to make a run to make the playoffs this year. We'll have to see if that pans out. A lot of people are really optimistic about Ottawa this year, based on their off-season moves and some of their young For talent. Sure. And that may kind of push things off the axis a little bit, right? Like the balance of yeah. power may shift a little bit. How much better is Buffalo going to be this year? They have this Owen power. Now he's going to be in his first full year in the NHL. Well, Dave, let's face it, partner. This is, this is what you get in a parody driven league. I yes. mean, at some point Buffalo was going to have to ascend. We've seen this with Ottawa the last couple of years. I think, our our broadcast team on the radio side, at least, I think we've always felt like the last couple of years, you could see Ottawa building and trending towards this part mm -hmm. where, you know, can they get their goaltending righted? But it, it felt like they were they were getting some pretty impactful players in their system that were going to do some good things. So I think it's just a matter of time. The question always becomes the teams that have been on the top for so long. And let's face it, Tampa Bay has been basically a playoff team since what 2014 yeah they missed one year they missed one year but they've basically been not only a playoff team partner but we can make a case a strong contender for the stanley cup the question is always how big is that window for them to stay competitive and that's what makes this league 
such a challenging league because you have teams like the Lightning who have been winning for a long time, who are losing players because of the cap, but have still been really good competing with these younger teams who are getting younger and faster mm-hmm. who don't necessarily have the pedigree that they do. And again, the examples are like the Penguins and the Capitals who have right. kind of been holding on and winning. Uh, the Lightning aren't, aren't there yet with those teams because I still think they're, they're going to be one of the favorites coming into this thing. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic when those, those two worlds collide. Well, and there's one other part of this lightning aura, which is a word that I've read, people writing about the lightning, league-wide writers, probably more so than any other team in the entire league. It doesn't matter whether they have to play as, as the road team in a playoff series. In other words, without home ice. Now, a lot of teams can win a series when they don't have home ice, but it's probably more true for the Lightning than any other team based on what they've done these last three years. It really doesn't matter where they finish in the standings as long as they can get into the playoffs. Correct. I think we've seen that firsthand these last two years when they were the lower seed in a number of their series. It was the first two series in 2021, and it was all of the series last year. And until the final, they'd won every single one of them. Now, again, it doesn't mean that another team can't win a series when they don't have home ice. All I'm saying is I think people view the Lightning as a very dangerous opponent with good reason if they happen to get them in a playoff series. And it doesn't matter whether they have the most points in the entire league or they're the very final team to get into the playoffs. So really the question is, these other teams in the Atlantic, let's say, maybe they have improved. But for the Lightning, it's more just about, as it has been, get into the playoffs. Correct. As it should be. (laughs) you know, As it should be, yeah. And a lot of people, and when I say a lot, throw in some Twitter, throw in some people that I talk to in and around my neighborhood, or just even going on a, a talk show to preview the season a little bit, and, and you get the same requests as well. You know, the concern about the lack of scoring in the preseason. And I, I got to be honest with you, my, my take has always been, at least recently with the Lightning, is that, yeah, you want to see some younger guys elevate. I think that's for the, more for the coaching staff and what they're looking for, more so than what we're looking for with an untrained eye. There are certain things they want them to do that is going to allow them to play with the big club at some point this year, more so than, hey, is he scoring goals? That's what we want to see. That's part of it, but it's it's not all of it in their eyes. But, I mean, even during the regular season, when the Lightning would not finish out the regular season as well as we would all like, it didn't really matter in my eyes because I felt like the Lightning – had an ability to either flip a switch or whatever saying you want to use, they had that ability to turn up their play. And you gave them the benefit of the doubt because they had won. That doesn't go away this year. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me, are you concerned about the scoring in the preseason or lack thereof, I kind of laugh and say, look, man, I, I, I I can't get worked up 
over preseason games. I can't get worked up over regular season games, and you're asking me to make a comment about preseason. Yeah. As Allen Iverson once said, the great philosopher. <laughs> what are we talking about? We talking about preseason. And that's that's kind of where I am with it. I think they'll figure that out. And I'm not concerned about the scoring at all. I actually my, my question is are they gonna have to score more this year uh than in previous years because of everybody they've lost. By the way, Matthew Barzell, partner, I don't know if you just saw this, mm-hmm. multiple, multiple reports, but we'll just go with Chris Johnston here. Um he has Barzell uh, eight years at 9.15. Or the Islanders, I'm sorry. And then Chris Johnson just retweeted it, so I'm just yeah. looking at the... Well, look, he's a core piece of through. their team. What do you what do you make of this? I don't even know if it was official, but like the trots Barzell didn't see eye to eye. Did you hear anything about that? And I didn't hear that, too much about that. I mean, yeah. that's not a surprise, but... Well, I mean, he wants to gallop, right? Maybe Barry Trotz didn't let him. I don't know. I mean, we weren't close him to walk. the situation. <laughs> well, Barry Trotz loves defense. and But on the other hand, you know, Alex Ovechkin did just fine when Barry Trotz was his head coach in terms of scoring, didn't he? I think Barry Trotz is good enough, a good enough coach. I know how you feel about him. I like him a lot, too, that, you know, when you've got the horses, you don't coach them the same that you would when he was in Nashville, you know, when you didn't have right. star players and you had to hunker down. Now, I don't think the Islanders were in that boat. I don't think they were as talented as his Caps teams. So maybe he was requiring guys to collectively be better defensively, maybe Barzell, and he collided a bit more. I don't know. But I, I, I think it, it spurns on a bigger conversation. You, know, you just mentioned Ottawa and Buffalo as teams that you know need a rebound. I mean, does anybody think the Islanders aren't going to be a better team this year? Yeah. You would think, right? Would I mean, think. they're another team that well, are going to be c- competing. But how much of the Islanders' success was tied to Barry Trotz? I or don't we're know. going to find that out. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think it's, it's safe to say a good portion of it, <laughs> at least with the structure. Yeah. And what Because that's how they did do. it. That's sure. how they did it. They did it with defense. No doubt. Which, you know, when they ran into the Lightning those two years, playing really well defensively wasn't enough. But that's because they were taking on a championship caliber team that had more weapons by weapons. I'm not only talking about offensive weapons, but just had, had a full arsenal. The Lightning were the full package the two years that the Islanders saw them in the conference final or the semifinals, I guess. And their outstanding team defense wasn't enough, even though, you know, both series were close. I mean, the one went to six games and the other went to seven games. Right. Well, and, and the funny but the question is, is now, like, are they going to take a step back without Barry Trotz behind the bench? Or are they going to be able to maintain that and maybe add to it? which is kind of what, what you have been saying about them, that they need more talent, essentially. I, natural, I think they do. Natural talent to score. Right. And I, I think, look, did you have to overpay for Barzell? Do I think Matt Barzell is a $9 million player? Look, maybe that's the going rate for a guy like him. But, you know, what does Matthew Barzell want? One of the questions, the critiques I've always had with him has just been in the playoffs and his production. I, I guess in particular when we've seen him against the Lightning. I mean, mm-hmm. you need, if you're going to rely on defense, that's great. And defense does win championships. The Lightning certainly are an example of that. 
but you do need to fill the net when you have the opportunities. You're not going to score five goals a game in the playoffs. But when you get an opportunity to capitalize, you've got you've to be able to finish. And if your star player has the puck on his stick in a key moment, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. More times than not, the Lightning have been able to find the answer. I think the Islanders, now look, you can say, Greg, I mean, what more can you say? They ran into the Lightning. Yeah, that's true. But that, that doesn't mean Matthew Barzell can't score. And look, when you get paid that much, you're expected to. Yeah. So, you know, for for them, I I understand the move. And not having trots, we'll see how that plays out. But I think for the Islanders, to me, it was just always it, it was more about what do you have up front than you do can they play defense? And we'll see if if that holds true again this year. The Islanders are not the same team they were in 2018, which was when Trots took over. Because remember, Correct. in 2018, he won a Stanley Cup with the Capitals. The next year, we went to the Islanders. The Islanders were ranked dead last. Last. 31st <laughs> in team defense in 17-18. I know. So if we are going to attribute their better defensive play to Barry Trotz, which I think we should, yes, from the 17-18 season to 18-19 and then moving forward and then it was the next two years that they got deep in the playoffs went deep in the playoffs is it fair to say that they are going to take some kind of a step back when he's not their coach anymore understanding that you know their core is more experienced now many of the guys are still there that were there in 2018 including Barzell Lee was there Brock Nelson was there. Josh Bailey was there. I mean, those guys were all there when they were terrible defensively, so they are much more experienced now, and they've been through kind of the ropes of how to defend. But when you lose that voice behind the bench, and I understand, you know, Lee Lambert was the assistant under trot. So, I mean, I'm thinking the message is probably going to be the same, but it's not the same guy. And maybe they won't take a step back at all, or maybe they will take a little bit of a step back because they're choosing to try and score more. It's kind of what you were suggesting, maybe a little bit with the Lightning. A choice to to open things up a little bit more. We'll see. It's an interesting question because think about the topics we had today. And you know, we still have 15 minutes here, and if people want to react, they can here on Twitter spaces, hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio, at Greg Linelli, and at Dave Michigan. We're live here on the TuneIn app as well. What what happens more? Do the Islanders suffer defensively because of their head coach previously not being behind the bench? Or do the Lightning suffer defensively because of an exodus of good defensive players over the last couple years? but they still have the head coach. You know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. message is going to be there from John Cooper and his staff, minus Derek Milan. But you you still have John Cooper talking and, and telling, look, guys, I'm, I'm pointing it out. You need to be here. But is that enough to overcome the losses from a personnel perspective? And in the Islanders' situation, while the roster has changed a little bit, you don't have the guy behind the bench who has been enforcing those qualities 
in your team? I don't know. I, I think in, in some ways it will be fun to watch both organizations and see how they handle the loss of key defensive personnel. Mm-hmm. One in the form of a coach, the other in the form of uh, multiple players who are very good defensively. I just don't know. But I think it'll be fun to kind of look at that and, and see how it all plays out. This question comes from Dale. He said, guys, I was excited when they brought Va- Vlad Nemestikov back. What role do you see him playing this year? Yeah, we touched on that a little bit yesterday. I think he's versatile. I think that he can play up and down the roster. I think he's going to penalty kill. I think that part of kind of what Palat brought, Nemestikov can replace. I was saying yesterday they aren't carbon copy players. Like, right. Vladdy is not the same as Palat, but even though they used Palat mostly with Point and Kucherov these last couple of years, remember, Palat was versatile enough to go up and down the roster, the lineup, basically. He could play in a top six. He could play in more of a checking role. He could be a checker with high-skill guys on the same line. And while he didn't do it in more recent years, he did have a history of killing penalties. Vladdy can do that. In fact, Nemetsnikov has killed penalties during the preseason. And he has certainly enough offensive talent to be able to mesh with high-skill guys. In fact, in practice today, he was playing with Stamkos and Kucherov. And I mentioned they did that earlier in camp. And that was a line years ago when when Nemetsnikov was with the Lightning the first time. So I think that's what the Lightning got. They got an experienced guy who's versatile, who can fill some of the the hole that was made by Palat's departure, but can also do some things that that you know maybe you weren't expecting from Palat. Like he is a center. <laughs> you know, Vladdy can win faceoffs. You know, Palat didn't really take a lot of faceoffs. So again, I, I think the Lightning did a good job of addressing kind of a, a hole to fill. And we'll see how it works out. The, the other advantage is that they're not bringing in a guy who is unfamiliar with the system, unfamiliar with with the roster. He's very close with a number of these players. So chemistry should not be an issue at all. No, for sure. And, you know, Nemestikov to me is is the perfect player who can play up and down the lineup. He's got enough skill partner where if you threw him on the first two lines for a few games, he would do just fine. And then if you even had him in a fourth-line role, not that he's going to be there, but if a third- or fourth-line role, it's probably where he's best suited so far in his career at this point. But he's a guy that John Cooper, to your point, is familiar with. He plays with an edge. He does. That I've always appreciated about Nemeskov. Not not the biggest guy, but I, there is some chippiness there that I like. And, right, I mean, Pilat is a better player, but Nemeskov is a very serviceable top-nine forward and can play up and down the lineup, and he can play with a variety of different guys. And he's got a lot of games under his belt, too. So that was one of the the better Dale moves I I think the Lightning have made, understanding who they lost and who they had to bring back. And I expect him to have a very solid season and fit well and come Mm -hmm. playoff time, be a guy that that can do some things for this Lightning team and provide some depth scoring. Uh, Anthony wants to know, what do you guys know about Myers? What type of game does he have? Well, I've only seen him in, in 
a very small sample size. I want to say that we saw him in the preseason for Nashville last year, but he really didn't play a lot with Nashville once the regular season began. I remember him more playing in Philly. So he's a big guy who can shoot the puck really hard. It did not work out for him in Nashville, clearly. The guy who basically knocked him out of the top six in Nashville was Alexander Carrier, who's a much different player. Like, Carrier is smaller. I think he's probably more like of an offensive defenseman than Myers who can shoot the puck hard, but I wouldn't term him as a quote-unquote offensive defenseman. Carrier beat him out, basically, and moved ahead of him. And, I mean, not only did Myers have to go to the minors, he didn't even go to Milwaukee, which is Nashville's AHL team. Somehow he ended up in Toronto with the Marlies. I'm not certain exactly how that happened, but that probably tells you that the Predators are ready to move on from him. Now, they got him as part of the Ryan Ellis deal, and and Ellis in Philly, that hasn't worked out either because he got hurt, and it sounds like he may not even be able to play again, which is which is you know a terrible break for him and and you know a really tough situation for the Flyers because they made a move to acquire him and they basically got what four games out of him and then and then he got hurt. As it relates to Myers, though, you know the Lightning feel that with a fresh start. Maybe he can get his confidence back. So much of this is confidence, too. Like, you know, you go to a new team, talking about Philly to Nashville, and it doesn't work out. You know, where's your mindset at? So I think he's going to get a chance to play with the Lightning. What does he do with that chance? We're going to have to wait and see. But I'll probably be more comfortable answering that question once I see him more regularly. It's kind of tough when, you know, you see a guy two times, three times a year max. Right. And, you know, he's playing 15, 16 minutes, and, and you're aware of who's on the other team. And unless – got to be honest, like when I call a game, unless somebody on the other team is really having an outstanding game and really is noticeable to me, you know, I'm not really as focused on sure, who's sure, been sure. exceptional. I mean, I'm aware of what they are doing, but it's just the natural way of, of viewing things. And I think – you know, even the Lightning coaches say the same. Like, they are much more tuned in to what a player is doing once he arrives, right? <laughs> like, when a player arrives, you're like, boy, I had no idea that this guy could do all of this stuff. I think they said that about Nick Paul. Like, you know, they were really, really impressed more with Nick Paul once he arrived. I mean, the scouts, fortunately, knew what this guy could do. And I think some of that is just kind of your perspective of what you're paying attention to during a game. So once somebody is wearing the Lightning jersey, I think I'm, and you too probably, Greg, are are probably a little bit more focused on zeroing in on what they're doing shift in, shift out. I I would agree with that. And the the one thing I've heard about Myers, because he's had some experience in the NHL, what, close to 150 games, Mm -hmm. Flyers and the Preds, is that... There are a lot of tools in that toolbox. It just hasn't materialized into a finished product yet, maybe consistently at the NHL level. There, there's some, a lot of people who like the skating, yeah. maybe the passing, maybe the shot. I mean, you can't teach size in any sport. He certainly has it. But there's a reason why this would be, what, his third team. That and defense is a hard position. It is. So, I it mean, is. it's hard to become a consistent defenseman, which kind of goes and back I, to what we were saying with Perbix. 
And I actually think this is, and I think the Lightning are hoping this is part of the, the process, the turnaround, is that a change of scenery for him is part of what gets him to that next level. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just need a clean slate. And let's face it, Myers, if, and I think he is going to make the team, he's not going to be asked to play huge minutes. So if you can ask him to play 10 to 12, look, if he gives you more and he, he turns out to be a stud, oh, you deal with that. That's a nice problem to have. Yeah. But I think for this team to start, assuming he's in part of the top six, I mean, I don't think you're going to ask him to play 18 minutes a night. I don't think you're going to ask him to lead your power play or maybe even be the uh, the top pairing on the PK. And maybe that comes eventually. We'll see. A- as you said, Dave, we're going to find out what skill sets he has. But for me, there's a lot of tools there. I think the change of scenery could help coming into an organization like this. And the fact that, yeah, he has to produce, but he doesn't have to be the guy, so to speak. There shouldn't be a ton of pressure on him from that perspective. You know, maybe they do, pardon the pun, catch a lightning in a bottle with Myers mm-hmm. to see what he can do. And I think they're hoping, again, we talk about the eventual loss of a guy like Ryan McDonough. Sergachev is going to have to perform better. I think Kyle Foote's going to have to take a step in his progression. Look, Myers is going to be part of that. Yep. What else are you going to get from him? And I think that will help overcome some of the loss from Ryan McDonough not being here. All right, that was a lively show. Did we uh, before we sign off? Did we get any word from uh, the guys who were put on waivers? I haven't seen any. I think it's come two across. o'clock. Yeah, is it two o'clock? I think they oh, changed. Okay. It used to be noon, but I think last year or the year before okay. they went to two o'clock. But we'll know. We'll know tomorrow. We'll First know tomorrow of all, if they cleared, and yep. by tomorrow we'll also know where they are. Well, one thing we do know: they're not going to be on our show. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they want to, they want to join us yes. on Twitter Spaces. What the heck? We'll have them on. We'll, we'll talk be here, about. Though. We will be here noon to one. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can at Bolts Radio, and uh, give us a follow there. TuneIn app, of course, is where we're going to be each and every broadcast, and we look forward to that. And again, two more preseason games coming up Thursday and Saturday. You can listen to all of that right here, and of course, everybody that listen to us on Twitter Spaces, we appreciate that, partner. Great job, as always. We will do it again tomorrow. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. All right. He is Dave Michigan. Thanks to Steve Versnick as well for producing. I'm Greg Linnelli. We appreciate everybody who listened as well. We'll be with you tomorrow, noon to one on Lighting Radio.